Welcome to another episode of Ladywood, the show where two huge fans of Deadwood and one newbie discuss the show through a feminist lens. My name is Brandi Sperry. I am a writer and also co-host of the Downton Gabby podcast. My name is Sita Sean. I am a stand-up comedian and also writer. And I'm Lynn Sternberger, a television writer here in Los Angeles. Today we'll be discussing the fifth episode of the second season, Complications, formerly known as Difficulties. Written by Victoria Morrow and directed by Greg Feinberg. I believe this is the first time we're seeing these names. It first aired on April 3rd, 2005. As a convalescing Swearingen bridles, Cochrane schools Byrne and Doherty how best to assist his recovery. Alma, too, is feeling unwell in the mornings, which leads her to believe she is pregnant, making her look for Trixie and Doc's counseling. Unexpected profits at the Shea Me lead Tolliver to a startling discovery about Wolcott. Concerns over the safety of gold claims once Deadwood is annexed leads to a panic amongst prospectors that turns violent. And when the local commissioner is whisked to safety by Bullock, an old friend of Hostetler becomes the target of their ire. Lots going on in this episode. It was all over the place, to be honest. But yeah, I mean, first things first, Alma is knocked up. Because that's what that barfing in the morning thing is code for Mm -hmm. in television. Always. (laughs) (laughs) Which, I mean, we could have seen this. It's a a logical obstacle for her story. That Seth doesn't pull out. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think she wanted him to pull out. I think Alma is a complicated lady. Um, She was going to run away with the guy, so, you know. That's true. She hasn't thought two steps ahead about anything so far so why would she think about that it's funny because i was mentioning i think on our last episode or the one before when they consummated things martha and seth i was like oh what if martha gets knocked up and then here's alma she's the Mm -hmm. actual one that Mm -hmm. he's spreading his seed with what's it is there a term for when a guy has two women pregnant at the same time (laughs) it could happen man slut man well he's his baby daddy (laughs) baby daddy squared or something He's not really showing great parenting skills with William as it is, so I don't know how much he needs to have multiple new babies running around. I mean, in the animal kingdom, (laughs) this is not unusual. Nor in our kingdom, quite frankly. Yeah, so, true. True. So, let's talk about how Alma reacts to this, which is, she goes to Trixie and is at least curious about how she would get rid of it were she to decide to Mm -hmm. do that. Right, and the answer is another special tea. Pennyroyal and Kohosh tea. Yeah. And apparently a lot of opiates, which is what kind of puts oh, yeah. her off of getting the tea in the first place. Yeah. She also says she she wants children of her own, which I'm like, that is this not a child of your own that you already have? Like, she doesn't seem to know what she wants. And she's scared that because of some mysterious childhood ailment she had, apparently it's supposed to be harder for her to have kids. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting that they never really tell us what that is what or what happened to her. This seems made up to me. This seems like a magical ailment. I feel like they were trying to like huh, plant a seed for down the road where she would have Doc Cochran have to interfere. You know, like when they're like, well, if she's going to keep the baby, let's make it difficult so that that can be like climactic at the end mm, of the season yeah. and that kind of thing. I'm fine with all of that. I just, I'm dubious about whether there's an actual medical ailment in real life that, that would fits that the exact would, circumstances they're creating for That the would show. mess up your womb in yes. weird ways. Make it more painful, painful. but not more dangerous. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess what I got from it was that it was going to be dangerous for the mother 
to have the baby. I, I, I that's kind of what I did. No, use. Doc was saying it won't be. And Doc, Doc said, refuted it. Yeah. Right, flat out. He was like, no, you've got ultimately, no problems. Ultimately, he was like, it'll be more painful and you won't be able to rely on opiates because you don't want to get addicted to them again. And she was like, okay, so sign me up. <laughs> I guess? <laughs> Question mark? I'm going to just keep it and watch and wait. And we're like, well, you don't have unlimited involved. time, yeah. right? Well, I was thinking about it because Trixie says that she's uh, basically used that tea concoction to end seven pregnancies. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they didn't have, like, clear blue back then, so it could take a while before mm-hmm. you figure out if you're pregnant, right? Sure. I don't know if Trixie's, like, tracking her Aunt Flo or whatever <laughs> in some ledger at the whorehouse. <laughs> but in any case, they were probably a bit further along than we think of, you know, with contemporary sort of, like, early-term abortion. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That would be my guess. I like the conversation Trixie had with Doc Cochran. Uh, prior to Doc Cochran actually going to Alma, which is like, you judgmental prick, this is what you said to mm-hmm. Alma, and now she won't come to ed- you for actual medical advice, and she's asking me for it. And I thought that was great. It was. I, I also kind of defend the doc the way I defended Miss Isringhausen, though. I feel like Alma is too harsh on people. She assumes that everyone is judging her at every turn, and I'm like, people have their own problems, Alma. <laughs> They're not thinking about you as much as you think they are. But we find out a little bit later, Miss Isringhausen has been thinking about her. Okay, that... <laughs> Fair point. Fair point. <laughs> Perhaps her paranoia did mean something at that point. This was a very, need I say, feminist moment for the doc when he went and sort of like bowed mm-hmm. himself before Alma mm-hmm. and was like, I hope you would forgive me if I've, you know, upset you before because mm-hmm. I want you to tell me what's going on and what's on your mind. He's just a good doctor. I like that in that moment he also compliments Trixie and her knowledge and her abilities and says, you know, if you're not going to listen to me, do listen to her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I might know more about this category, but as far as what she has told you, that is trustworthy. Yeah. This is a good moment all around. I just like seeing him stressed out and being a nice man. Being a good man while losing it is kind of the best space he lives in. Brad Brad Dorff just encapsulates like that. He, He excels. And of course, Seth has no fucking clue that this is going on. How could he not? Seth seems to have no clue about, like, anything in this episode. Because <laughs> right? Al's telling him stuff and being like, I'm bedridden and I know what's going on. <laughs> like, what are you doing with your time? Just apparently fucking Alma and not thinking about the consequences. That's apparently what Seth is doing. One more thing I want to say about the scenes with the doc and Alma goes to our tracking of this magical timeline in the show. Because he's... The excuse he uses to go there is that Sophia hasn't been examined in a year. Right. And I'm like, what? Three episodes ago, it had been seven months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that still has the scar on his forehead. Yeah, so it's been like, it's been both like three, three days, days and five months since that <laughs> happened. <laughs> Probably more than that because like he examined Sophia all the time over the first yeah, season. Yeah, it makes yeah. no sense. <laughs> Magical timeline. <laughs> or this could just be Doc being obvious about the fact that he's coming not for all, uh, for, uh, what's the girl's name again? Sophia. <laughs> Sophia not coming for Sophia, but actually coming for Alma. Because it's such a bold-faced lie. It's just <laughs> like a terrible so lie. Generous. <laughs> so, so generous. So generous right in this moment. <laughs> I just thought that was one of the most egregious examples so far. Like, they just do not give a fuck about the timeline. Yeah, I agree. But let's let's talk about the other uh, woman that's uh, bigger in this episode, Miss Isringhausen, who is now full-on seductress. This is a lot, right? <laughs> like, 
She, like, went from school mom to, like, femme fatale in, like, half an episode, basically. I will say I like her so much more <laughs> once we're past the transition. Yes. But the transition itself is just odd. The, like, showing up at a total stranger's room, it turns out that she slept there. Yeah. And what's his face? Silas, like, mm-hmm. slept somewhere else because he can sleep wherever. And then she's like, thank you. Here, I'm putting your hand on my titty. <laughs> She's had enough of acting all upright, right? Like, mm-hmm. she's like, this is I'm going to take care of business, and I'm going to get boned while I do it. Yeah. Like, She's definitely horny. <laughs> definitely. But she's also using it as a distraction to kind of, like, get him to go along with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We do not get the full story on okay. Isringhausen in this episode. I think what the, what the setup of Isringhausen's seductive new, new femme fatale personality is that now we know for sure that she is not who really she says she is. Right. Because she's definitely not the school mom that looks down at Alma having an affair with Seth when she's going out and, like, banging, um, like, Silas, who she met, what, like, a week ago or something? Not even. Not even. He just, like, rode into town. Yeah. Also, I was so confused by what Silas is doing in town. I'm like, why is he still here? Is he, like, a hired gun for Al? Is that why? He's he's a nice still waiting around for Al to be better so that they can deal with the commissioner. But he's, like, on the outs with those guys. So mm-hmm. he's no longer he's able to be, Al. like, right. a double agent. Exactly. Know? So he's kind of useless. He's useless. But I'm sure that uh, an actor of his caliber had, like, a certain number of episodes contracted. <laughs> and they were like, oh, well, okay, we'll stick him we'll stick it with this girl yeah. together and see what happens. Sure. You know, this storyline reminds me a little... It's it's not got all the same problems, but it reminds me of how Kristen Bell was is brought in. Mm. There's one con- context, and then we learn, of course, that she's got this sort of separate identity, a whole different attitude about her, and a different goal. And uh, we know... We do learn later. I won't spoil it, but we learn more about why Mrs. Isringhausen is in town than we ever understood about what Kristen Bell and her brother were. But um, again, like it's just, is this the only way that they can introduce new female characters? What you see is not what you get? Yeah. And we're going to be coy about what you're actually getting? Like we don't know why she's doing what she's doing. Yeah. It irritates me. We also get another new character in this episode that also seems to just kind of appear out of nowhere people know him but um so the general fields who is based off of a real historical guy oh i didn't know that yes i looked this up samuel fields apparently was a man who lived in deadwood did Did he go by the same derogatory nickname Uh, apparently so um and i have some not great thoughts about how this episode basically turns into a tarantino movie all of a sudden (laughs) people saying the n-word all over the place and it's just really jarring all of a sudden it's cringy yeah like hearing hearing calamity jane just kind of like go back and forth with him which i guess is supposed to establish some type of camaraderie but that seems so uncomfortable because he's looking around the entire time trying to make sure that nobody is is going to like make a move against him for drinking with a white woman Mm -hmm. and she's just like throwing around the n-word so it was just like it just felt weird in 2019. I don't know how it felt in 2000. This is one of those things yeah. where you're like, okay, if they're trying to be historically, I don't know, accurate mm-hmm. within the way that Deadwood plays with historical accuracy, which is, okay, they wouldn't have said fuck, they would have said something else, but to evoke 
mm-hmm. the kind of behavior right, like and saying, language. Oh, heck, isn't yeah. gonna yeah. do it. Yeah. So for a modern viewer, they're gonna use certain language that we have now, but in a specific way. Right. Okay, but at the same time, um, it's just really the guys come from nowhere and they're not real like we don't know we don't know who they are and what they want so they're just devices in Mm -hmm. this episode that to me is the uncomfortable part yeah we've seen hosteller once before in season one when he apparently sold said the land that he built his house House on on. right but this dude's been running the livery the whole time like why does he actually get story yeah people are coming and going from there all the time you would think it seems like he could have a, a better story than just all of a sudden out of nowhere when they need a lynch mob. Yeah. yeah. They're given less story than all of the other shopkeepers. Random. I mean, even Steve has appeared in multiple episodes and he has no job that I'm aware of. Yeah. I guess he's one of the prospectors. I guess he has a claim. Yeah. Oh, Steve has a claim. Yeah. It's, it's just a little uncomfortable that it's only in this context that we're getting to meet them. It also doesn't really serve that much purpose, I guess, uh, now that I'm thinking about the scene with Calamity. Like, what what is sort of the motivation of that scene? Like, what are we seeing? How does that help us move the plot forward? My best interpretation is that it's also part of the issue with her character right now, where the best they have to do with her is to throw her in a scene and have her chit-chat with someone, mm-hmm. which is always entertaining. They give mm-hmm. her funny dialogue all the time, but uh, it doesn't do it. It's anything. not that I didn't like the two of them talking to each other, with yeah. the exception of having to hear the N-word over and over again, but it doesn't advance the plot in any yeah. way, shape, or form. I, that That's the part that kind of trips me up. It was kind of... that's That's why I felt... Uh, Tarantino-esque because Tarantino does definitely like loves using the n-word <laughs> in all of his scripts and sometimes just for the sheer fact of saying it yeah and then that's how that scene felt like it played Absolutely. out to, to me yeah yeah what I will say is that the people of color are often on the outskirts of the plots that are unfolding in Deadwood even though they exist within Deadwood mm-hmm. same thing with Wu Wu gets a little bit more to do I think coming up but I mean it's not a great track record And as far as the Jane thing goes, I liked it, if only because we were seeing what a progressive stance on race could Mm -hmm. look like in in that period. I mean, according to the writers of a show that's not real. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But they are giving Jane a progressive point of view on race, which is like, you're just like any other motherfucker, basically. You can share my whiskey. (laughs) Um, Backing up slightly, what happens is, is that... Hugo Jari, the commissioner, goes to Merrick and says, print this on the front page Mm -hmm. of your paper, this notice about what's going to happen with the claims, which is a whole lot of purposeful jargon to basically, he thinks it will be too confusing for people to know, but technically, you know, we've alerted you of what's going to happen with the claims. Merrick sees through this. He doesn't want it in his paper. He just prints it and posts it as a notice outside of his door. And people do see through what it means and... That they could have their claims taken from them and mm-hmm. raffled off, basically. Yes. And st- it starts a lot of potential violence and everyone's very riled up about it. So the crowd side does not do a good job of trying to talk them down. Accidentally tells them where the commissioner is. They go after him. And then Seth has to come in and take the guy into protective custody. Okay, this is all very convoluted. But basically, Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to get back to why they had to have this, like, lynch mob thing. This is Steve's plot to distract Seth so that they can go in and get the commissioner. 
but then he also seems to have an actual beef against Fields. Uh, we don't know. It was like retconned at some point. It's like he did something in the past that irritated Steve. Mm-hmm. So Steve and this guy that we're just meeting, General Fields, have beef. The general tries to hide from Steve. Steve spots him, and then he's going to use this whole, like, I'm going to pick an actual fight with you so that we can get to the commissioner instead thing. And then the commissioner thing goes bust because he's being taken care of by Seth. That's so, so confusing. That, mm-hmm. uh, like because that's kind of how I read it too that they were using General Fields as a distraction to, in order to get to Commissioner Jerry and the idea is that the men would go upstairs where the jail was while Seth was out trying mm-hmm. to stop them but I guess they didn't get far enough with the tarring of General Fields yeah because nobody actually tries to do that do yeah they? they didn't get to drag him anywhere to a different locale where Seth would actually have to exit instead Seth came downstairs saw the tarring and like shot in the air and I was like, what? 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 This plan is so weird. Yeah. They were just an angry mob yeah. that was kind of lashing out wherever the weakest link was, you know, wherever they could find it. It's horrific that, like, our introduction to, like, more black bodies within Deadwood is so yeah. aggressively, like, violent. Yeah. yeah. Just, like, strips of skin coming off. Like, yes. Oh, that, oh, was a, that was a very awful. cringy scene. Yeah. I could not watch it. It was pretty bad. But I... I think one of the other things, the introduction of of Jerry and Merrick together is kind of unintentionally hilarious because they're the same kind of nerd. <laughs> they're the exact, they're birds of a feather, grew up in a print shop together. <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, but they're also sworn enemies now. Sworn enemies now. And and Jerry gets a lot of great comedic lines in this as just like the bumbling bureaucrat. That it is, is great when they just tip over the cashier's cage that he's locked himself in. And then he just like clings to it and falls <laughs> with it. It was really... I always can count on uh, that actor for Stephen yeah, for for good physical comedy. In the look on his face is, is fantastic. <laughs> yes. So the other development in this episode is Sai starting to figure out exactly what kind of man Wolcott is, and thinking that he can somehow use that against him, his proclivities towards women, because mm-hmm. he's getting reports from Doris, the prostitute that he gave to the Shami. Right. While he's working with Walcott, actually. Yeah. Right. So he's on both sides of this. It, we don't see where it's going to go in this episode, but to me, this is like flashing life, like danger, danger, like side thinks he can stay two steps ahead of this guy and it is not going to go well. Yeah. If you just look at the quality of size henchmen, you know, it's not going to go well. <laughs> it's just, just Leon and fucking and Con Stapleton. Con yeah, Stapleton. that's the best you can do. It's... Jesus. But... It's clear that Walcott's role in the camp is escalating and evolving. Um, he's got his hands dirty everywhere, basically. Mm-hmm. So he's had Farnham working for him. He now has Sai working mm-hmm. for him. He's a regular at the Shami, where they're making like loads of money off this guy. In the end, he told Carrie, who we see again, his favorite prostitute, to take off his pants. So it seems like... The monster is evolving in some it's what, he, what was that scene? Was yeah, he trying was to it? be more normal because of the sort of side comments Sai's been making to mm. him? Is he trying to, I don't know, test his own limits with Carrie? It, it was very strange to me. That and the scene where Joni goes into Carrie's bath and starts interrogating her about yeah. Wilcott. 
I feel like with both of them, I don't really know what they're trying to figure out about this whole situation, if that makes sense. I don't have an answer for you. I find I find it confusing. And both those scenes were confusing, I agree. It's like, yeah, I think Joni wants a fuller picture of what this guy is capable of, and maybe that's why she's asking Carrie what his behavior is Why not just say like. that, then? Why is she being so cagey about that's it? That's a great question. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Can't the ladies talk and be like, oh, yeah, he beats women and is dangerous? Is he going to want to go with someone else besides you? Is this a mm-hmm. good idea? You know, I don't understand if Joni is afraid of retaliation from Maddie if she speaks more outright about it. Carrie seems pretty smart. She seems like she could handle yeah. some strategic planning around this guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wish Joni had been more direct about what her motives were there. Because it was like Maddie said to Joni, do you want to be taking notes? And that yeah. was like such a weird comment. Like, well, are you saying that you want Joni to eventually handle Mr. W? Like, are you making fun of her for like, trying to be mysterious? Like, we're in desperate need of a confidant for Joni who can yes. interpret some of these things that she's doing. Like, yeah. could she go have tea with Charlie and tell him what's up yes. or something so that we can like get behind some of these actions and get inside of her head a little bit more? That would be great. Agreed. So, um, anybody have favorite? quotes or moments that we didn't talk about yet oh well jane you know she always distracts with her hysterical lines from the fact that she's not actually given anything to do when jari is put in put up in the prison cell he says i'm thirsty because he's a whiny baby and she goes lie on your back take aim and piss (laughs) i love her that's a good line i missed her that's a good line there's another moment um we talked about the scene where trixie goes to the dock and says you know your behavior is causing these issues you need to go to alma but on the way out she issues a line that is pretty significant to me where Mm -hmm. um the doc mentions al as her employer and she says i ain't exclusive to him no more yes Huge moment for her character arc, right? Right. she's trying to get out from Al's thumb since, like, day one, pretty much. Yeah. Well, actually, from day one, she was pretty beaten down. But in the first season, we saw her coming more into her own. And we want it for her, so that's great that she's embracing that. I don't feel like we've ever gotten a definitive moment of when she made this decision, which maybe is fine, is more true to real life, that she's just evolved over time Mm -hmm. with the opportunities to converse with Saul, to Mm -hmm. learn from him, with this time of Al being sick where she could have... A different kind of relationship with him and also more freedom to move about without his panopticon eye on her all the time. I think it took place somewhere in the three-day, five-month span. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, we've either had almost no time for her to make this decision or months that we didn't see for her to make this decision. I mean, she's (laughs) she's very installed at the uh, hardware store now. And she doesn't seem worried about what Al's reaction is going to be when he is back on his feet. Nope. Um, She seems pretty confident that she's going to keep doing what she wants to do, which is great. It it almost comes as, maybe as a result of her being part of the group of people that helped him with his bladder stone. I feel like having seen him at his most vulnerable, maybe Mm -hmm. she feels a little bit insulated from whatever terrible thing he usually does to people that don't agree with him. Yeah, and well, given how she also um, interacted with and made plans with Dan and Johnny during that period, Mm -hmm. like she's definitely now one of the in-crowd, even Mm -hmm. maybe even more than she was before. Mm -hmm. They're just viewing her as someone whose opinion they actually need rather than just... The a whore. Yeah. 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 A mouthy whore. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Who shoots guys in the head. Ah, <laughs> uh, throwback. 
I like the, I think Doc said um, this when he was at Alma's checking out Sophia. With the day-long haul between gunfights, I thought I'd have a look. And I yeah. thought that was so funny, too. Like, <laughs> yeah, there have been a lot of gunfights. Even Seth keeps, like, shooting his gun in the air and stuff. <laughs> says something to him when he shoots the ceiling at the Bella Union twice instead mm-hmm. of just once. I mean, He's being very sheriff yeah. Like, a little bit of a caricature of a sheriff. Very sheriffy, but I feel like if he was really doing his job, he would get ahead of some of these situations before he had to be shooting yeah. his gun in the air. Agreed. He's being very, like, obtuse. Can we see and Seth being a little more savvy yeah. in future episodes? That would be great. Because, like, my boner for him has faded in this season. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about Ellsworth right now. <laughs> all about Ellsworth. I will say, I do like when Al calls for Seth. Because he's like, I'm incapacitated. Mm-hmm. I need Bullock. Get me Bullock. And everybody's like, what? Didn't you just almost like beat that guy to mm-hmm. death? And uh, he, the doc comes in when when they're standing opposite one another and is like, pithy and civil. I love that. So those are good rules for <laughs> confrontation, period. <laughs> yeah, I love that realization from Al. That ultimately he and Bullock have a lot more in common than the, than the other side. I think on their best days they realize that they need one another. Because they can, they at least know what the other person's motivations are. Yeah. Well, that's it for episode yeah. five of Ladywood Cast. We'll be back next week with episode six. Until then, you can find us on Twitter at Ladywood Cast. I'm at Lynn Sternberger. I'm at Wee Brandy, O U I B R A N D I. And I'm at Slowbear, S L O B E A R. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Tricks of the trick